Okay, good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, Eric, let me get your mic going and you can start start us with prayer. Okay, I think it's working. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for our day. We thank you that we can gather together under your means of grace and to learn more of your scripture. We pray, Lord, as we look into the book of Acts, that we would learn about your great gospel truths, that we would be enabled to persevere. We thank you for our teacher, Bob. We pray that you teach through him and open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. We are going to start in Acts 13. I have the last verse we were on in 12, and which sets a theme here that we'll find throughout Acts. And I think it'll help us. It says, The word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was called Mark. Now, we mentioned last week that's probably the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But one of the things that is thematic in Luke Acts and is really going to be important as we go through Acts is the idea of the Word of God spreading and growing in influence both in the types of people who hear and believe and also in geographical locations. And this is in keeping with what Jesus said at the end of Luke about bearing witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Acts is showing that literally happening. And I think we should learn from that that the one thing that needs to be spread around the world is the word of God. And I mean clear, honest, godly teaching about what God has said. People do not know what God has said. People in churches do not know what God has said. Uh, somebody was just telling us a story about that, how people that are, their whole lives in church don't realize that they need Christ as Savior in order to go to heaven. We were just talking about heaven. So one thing to keep in mind, okay, as I'm teaching Acts and also Ephesians, which is related to Acts because as we go forward here, we'll find out in some subsequent chapters that Ephesus is a key place in the book of Acts. And the amount of religious activity going on there is really quite remarkable. The magic, the opposition to through people that are deceived. It's just a very religious place, but in a pagan way. Our world is much like that today. We are in a world that's filled with superstition, paganism, magic, attempts to manipulate the world of the spirits to benefit humans, which, by the way, never works because the spirits don't have your best interest in mind. We've got to come to God 
through his terms, through his Messiah. So the word of the Lord here, uh, speaking about both the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the new covenant message about the blood atonement and everything is related to that. Now, this is probably a plenary genitive, the, the word about the Lord and the word that comes from the Lord because he inspired it. And you'll notice also as we go through Acts, there's a lot to be said about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I want to remind you, is God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And Jesus was identified as the anointed one, the uniquely anointed one. That's what the term Christ means. He's anointed. And therefore, the Holy Spirit testifies about Christ. And I did a message on that one time at one of our conferences entitled How to Discern a True Work of the Spirit. And it's very remarkable that when you go through the New Testament and even into the Old, reading about how do you know the difference? Okay, so as we go forward in Acts, we'll see interactions with magicians and so on. That's coming up right away here in Acts 13. False people who had a spiritual bag of tricks. And so you have the spirits. Rationalism uh, wanted to deny whether there's any reality to any of this, but that's not what's on the table for uh, most people today. Religious people believe in spirits, angels, whatever. Now, I want you to know that you and I as human beings created in the image of God are not designed to be able to interact with the spirits. I mentioned something Sunday in my sermon. I want to bring it up again because I'm starting to see how significant it really is. In Genesis 2, Adam named the animals. That was his realm. Okay? And God tangibly appeared to people, such as Abram, who becomes Abraham, and spoke literally and tangibly to Adam and Eve. Yahweh appeared to Moses and spoke through a theophany. The big deception that's prevalent in the world today of religious ideas is that we need to interact with the spirits to get information. But that always leads to deception. And the reason that it does is that the spirits have been in their realm for many thousands and thousands of years. They are deceiving spirits. They know their realm, we don't. They're good at what they do. And when we go into their realm, they win, we lose. 
And so much of what's being taught, falsely taught to the church, is how to somehow interact with the spirits, even if it's in a negative way. I get emails two or three a week from people who want me to help them with the spirits. And some of them get excited when I tell them what the truth is. Others get upset and they never, I never hear from them again. They're looking for a shaman to get rid of the curses and the spirits. So as we go forward in Acts, the thing that you and I need to know that we have, because God gave it to, through Christ to his apostles, and it's written in tangible words in the Bible, in human languages that we can know, that what we know is based on tangible revelation, not mystical. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Every spirit that confesses that is from God. But um, I was thinking about Adam and Eve and then the first deception with Eve. Even in their world before the fall, how did the serpent, which ultimately has a spiritual source, Satan, deceive Eve through a creature, the, the, the serpent? And there's, uh, God has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And what we need is what happens in the real world that we are in. So, therefore, people say we need a great work of the Spirit. I say amen. And if you really want that, and you're really committed to it, you will know the Bible and you will proclaim it and teach it because the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible and we know that that came from God and we know that God cannot lie and we know that God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, cannot lie and we know that he will do what he said he would do. And the way we know the spiritual source of a teaching is whether or not Jesus Christ is proclaimed and confessed. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ, we can know it's from God. Now, that's how we avoid deception. So the word of God is spreading. We need that today. Let's go to chapter 13. Now, there were at Antioch. Now, this was the Antioch that was uh, the third most important uh, center of the Roman culture of the time, the Greek culture behind Rome and Alexandria. And this became the headquarters where the mission was launched. And it says there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So what is this work 
that they were called to by the Spirit. It was to continue the proclamation of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, which is the theme of Luke-Acts. So there is a echo here, and I have to credit uh, Dr. Tannehill for seeing this, and I think it's a very good reading, that in Luke-Acts, remember it's a two-volume work, Luke-Acts, it's intended to be that, which is obvious. Why it's not laid out that way in the Bible, I cannot tell you. I'm sure Dana can. We'll have to ask him one of these Wednesday nights when he's talking about um, textual uh, issues concerning the Greek manuscripts. But Luke-Acts is a two-volume work. Now, this pattern is repeated in Luke-Acts. And we're going to see it back in Luke with Jesus himself. The pattern is prayer, the work of the Spirit coming upon people, and then commissioning for the mission. And the first uh, example of it is through Jesus Christ himself. And we'll see that in Luke. Turn with me to Luke 3, 21 and 22. Luke 3, 21 and 22. Let me read that. Now when all the people were baptized, remember John the Baptist was baptizing, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, notice that there, he's praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, quote, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, unquote. So Jesus is anointed as the Holy Spirit. The word Christos, ha Christos in the Greek means the anointed one. This is in keeping with the idea of a literal anointing that happened in the Old Testament um, where they would pour oil on someone who was set apart to be for service. And that was a visible sign that this person is designated, whether it was to the priestly service or the king, like David. But the, the Old Testament prophesied that a special anointed one would come. And that is the Christ. So that means when we say the special anointed one, we have to be talking about Jesus. And one of the first articles I wrote for Critical Issues Commentary was in, 19, I think, early 1993. I wrote about the anointing and the Christian. And it's, I think it's in First John where it says, you, all, you have an anointing from the Holy One. All Christians have the Holy Spirit because they're, they're born of the Spirit, Right? All Christians are anointed. 
There's no special anointed one but Jesus. Somebody should tell the TV preachers that. Or maybe tell the people who email me. I'm the anointed man of God. Here, come here, the great anointed one who does miracles and signs and all these glorious things. They're trying to be a false Christ. Let me save you a lot of sorrow and your money. Do not listen to them. Do not send them money. All Christians are anointed. There's no special anointed one. Jesus is the Christ. Because when they're saying, here's the anointed one, and there's the anointed one, Jesus predicted they'd say, here's the Christ and there's the Christ. What are we supposed to do? Don't listen to them. And people are doing it today. That's why I wrote that article back in 93. Because I kept getting, back then was before the internet. I know, I'm that old. I was around before the internet. (laughs) Most of you probably were too, but... uh, so stuff came in the mail. Come and hear the anointed man of God. Here's the anointed one. And so I wrote an article. That they're just saying, here's the Christ. And Jesus told us not to listen to them. But people still do. Todd Bentley claims to be the anointed one. Yes, Peter. Bob, this is a little bunny trail, but what's the role of fasting play in this? Uh, Okay, good. Thank you for asking about that because it came up in the text. That's why we're here. While they were ministering, Lord, and fasting. Now remember, Jesus, I think we do see an echo here because in Luke um, 3, Jesus was baptized by John. The Spirit comes on him in bodily form. He's identified as the Christ. But then in Luke 4, Somebody with their Bible will make sure I got that right. He goes out fasting, right, into the wilderness and to be tempted by the devil. There's, there's echoes all through Luke-Acts. I love learning the Bible. Here's, let me give you a little overview of that because uh, my preaching on Luke was some over 10 years ago. In Luke, Jesus... Is, is, goes into the wilderness and is tempted. This is an echo of the Israel going into the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus goes for 40 days. But they went there and were tempted and they failed. They fell into unbelief. And they tempted the Lord and they tried. And their, their bread came into play, if you remember that. God provided manna, Right? So what happened? They didn't like it. We want to go back to Egypt. So they failed. Jesus goes in there and says, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was fasting. Okay? So I don't know if that's why this echoes here, but let me talk about fasting. Fasting is not required in any special or specific case under the new covenant. But it's predicted that Christians will do so. Now, under the old covenant, and Eric or anybody else, feel free to help my memory. But if I am correct about this, 
there was only one required day of fasting, and that was the day of atonement. And they interpreted where it says, you shall afflict your souls to fast. Now, Eric, do you want to help me make sure I'm getting it yeah, right? Amen. I would affirm that. And, you know, I think you do have a good reading, Bob, with the fasting here um, in the Luke text in Luke 4. Oops, I had it here just a moment ago. It's in Luke 4, too, I think. It says that he was hungry. And so the implication is Jesus was hungry with a lack of food as well. Um, but t- to Peter's question, I-, I know the issue of fasting comes up in Mark 9. And it's in Mark 9, 29. And the issue is Jesus has his disciples casting out demons. They fail because they're relying upon their power, not his. Well, in 9:29, it says, Jesus said to him, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. But some of your versions, if you'll note, it'll say prayer and fasting. There's a textual manuscript evidential issue, which Dana gets into. Yeah, Um, we talked about that. We had one of the the greatest scholars on textual evidence. He's the one who actually names the text that we get. His name is Dan Wallace. And he was asked this question, is it prayer and fasting or is the text just prayer? And he said, well, look at my waistline. And he was kind of a heavy set guy. The point is, he thought it was just prayer and not prayer and fasting. So the point being is when you see texts that, the, uh, for example, here you see fasting, this is descriptive, but it's not prescribed for us. So we're yeah. not bound anywhere under the new covenant to do fasting ourselves. Right. Now, there's a theological. Let me talk about the theology that comes up there. I love Sunday school because then we can talk about these things. And... Uh, Excuse me. Now, let me say this. We used to use the King James, and we took it as prayer and fasting. So during those five years, I lived in a Christian community where we were pretty well isolated from the rest of the world, although not totally. We were known for deliverance and inner healing. So people came to us to have demons cast out. That's why I was able, when I got away from that, to write about it. And people would come and say, nobody can get this demon out of me. And um, our group had a required day of fasting every week. And so for five straight years, I had a fasting day and everybody else there did. Every week, it was required by our leader because we wanted to make sure we're ready to get those demons out. So they only come out by prayer and fasting. So then when people would come with these uh, manifestations or symptoms of why they believed they were demon-possessed, and uh, they keep sometimes they'd come back and say, well, it didn't work. Maybe you didn't fast long enough. So they were blaming us because we didn't fast enough. That's why the demon wouldn't go out. So finally, somebody, because they'd, they'd actually come from Iowa or Wisconsin or even further away, because <coughs> we were supposedly good about this. One of them said, well, the group I was in, when the demon wouldn't go, get, go out, they got tired of me telling them they had to fast, so they told me I had to fast. Well, then they weren't so sure how bad they wanted the demon out if they had to fast. <laughs> All right, so uh, here's, let me, I'll get to you, Eric, as soon as I make a theological point. I think fasting was added 
later as a gloss, but you can decide that for yourself. <coughs> Here's why. Um, I believe what was deceiving me was whether or not the demon would go out had to do with how pious I was as a minister. If I was more holy and I prayed more and I fasted more, despite the fact we fasted one day a week for five years, then maybe the demon would go out. And it's always me, I'm not good enough or I don't have it or I'm not getting it going. But if you just have prayer, the issue then becomes God in the person, not the minister in the person. Do you see the difference? So God is the one who delivers people from Satan. And his doing so is based on what he does through Christ, not how pious the minister is. Now, that's, uh, I get, I get uh, emails from around the world, and there are people claiming that there are really great apostles and prophets because the, the demons are going out wherever they go. So they're proving their own piety based on what the demons do or don't do. But if we believe the Bible, God defeated Satan through the cross and we need to get out of his kingdom. Okay, go ahead, Eric, over here. Yeah, so I was thinking about, in the, especially the Old Testament, I was thinking about fasting a while ago, and um, it came up in one point where it says uh, that Israel doesn't, God doesn't want a fast from Israel. It says he didn't even want their sacrifice. He said, here's the fast that I require. He says, a contrite um, He had to do it justly, yeah. He, yeah, he wants, yeah, he wanted certain things, obedience. And, um, and then I, and I think it's... Well, yeah, I'll just stop. Yeah, no, I remember the passage. To do justly, to walk humbly with your God. Remember that passage? Where's that, Micah? My computer mind isn't really a computer. It's in there somewhere. This is the fast that I would require, that you walk, do justly, love righteousness, and walk humbly with your God. Yes. Oh, oh we got one more. Uh, Peter was just... One. Okay, go. He started this. So, Yeah. <laughs> So, basically, fasting is to put our focus on Christ and God. Is that what the yeah, role, it's, the it's role of it was? It's something that Christians are free to do. Uh, to It's not that we're less focused on God as we go about life, but Christians will fast and pray, acknowledging their need for God. But remember that Jesus is unique. I think a lot of people forget that. He went out in the wilderness and succeeded where Israel failed. Yes, uh, over here to Adam. Yeah, that's a good point that uh, Eric made. Uh, that's from Isaiah. It's oh, from, that's it. Okay. It's, it's after, it's fi- chapter 58 or after that, that last that's section okay. of Isaiah. Somebody will find it on their uh, computer. And there he's making a lesser to greater argument, so he's not saying never fast. But the thing is, in their fasts, 
uh, in their Sabbaths. Uh, they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. They, they weren't loving their neighbor. Um, in fact, they were forgetting justice and even abusing people and uh, getting angry and uh, clenching fists. So God wasn't um, happy that, with that's that. Not, even that's though not the kind fasted. of fast or the Sabbath rest that God had uh, okay, appointed. Okay, that's, that's a good point. And you guys probably already uh, described it, but fasting, as I would understand, uh, was a time where they weren't dedicating themselves to uh, food preparation or feasting, uh, but it, it was a time maybe if they were distressed. I know sometimes in my own life, I haven't really thought of it as fasting, but you know, if there were things going on, sometimes I'm kind of forgetting about eating, and I'm in God's word, or I'm, I'm praying. I'm not thinking, Oh, well, God's going to hear me because I'm not eating or something. Uh, yes. But it's a time to dedicate oneself uh, to, to God's word, to, the, yeah. to, to prayer. The word there, ministry, I looked that up in the Greek. It's an unusual word, but it comes from, from Latria, which means priestly service. Mm-hmm. So the whole, these people, probably the whole congregation there, not just the ones named, are ministering like priests. Use the Greek is an unusual word for ministering. Yeah. It wasn't the word for deacon. It was this other word you find in Hebrews for priestly service. And it, uh, it's the priesthood of every believer. And so that's what they meant by ministering to the Lord. So that, but certainly prayer and fasting is involved with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's no... To, let me make two points to make it clear. Mm-hmm. The New Testament has no prescribed required fast. No. no. Like the Old Testament had the Day of Atonement. Why? Because Jesus already provided the atonement. Number two, we do not gain power and influence by our personal piety. No. Okay? This, I was just rereading one of my church history books that I, that I like a lot. And er, when Constantine became the emperor and made Christianity valid, there were people that fled out into the wilderness to live in caves and to escape what they saw to be corruption. Now, there's always been corruption. But, and I'll be getting into this when I get back in Ephesians because it talks about making the two one new man. Christianity is not a solitary religion. Um, the monks, the monastics, the quote desert fathers were in air. They sat out in the wilderness praying and fasting in caves, avoiding corruption. But as they found out, this one guy, Anthony, I was just rereading it last night. He got the demons were harassing him the whole time. As he sat in his solitude, away from the church, away from all people, away from family, away from anybody, he was tormented by dreams and demons and harassment. And uh, it was not a good thing. We need one another. Okay? Paul rebukes those who say, I have no need of you to other Christians. So they were doing this corporately. They did have one another, and they were ministering to the Lord. Fasting happens, and we're telling 
the Lord how much we need him. We're not telling other Christians, I'm more pious than you are. Right. Does, does that make sense? Right. Our group was a pietist group. And so we fasted one whole day every week. I remember when I first moved in there, a guy, I like people that aren't so pretentious. So I met a, 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 I was young back then. This is the 70s. I met a guy who became a friend over the years. I said, okay, I'm new here. What what happens? And I think uh, uh, Tuesday was the fast day, or was it Monday? I think it was Tuesday. I said, well, what happens on Tuesday mornings? Well, that's our fast day. There's a backsliders meeting in the kitchen right away in the morning. <laughs> right away, I like this guy. <laughs> so, so there was hope for the group. At least we didn't take, all take ourselves too seriously. Yes. So I was, um, sorry. Oh boy, uh, let's see. All right, I think I got my voice. Um, kind of. Um, so I was thinking about, uh, see if he comes back. So Israel rebelled, and there, there is a way to draw near to God. And um, Israel, <clears throat> at one point, turned away. I was, I was reading it in Isaiah, actually one the other night. And uh, God said, you know, turn back to me, uh, obey my commandments, you know, and, and I'll have blessing to you. And, um, <clears throat> and I was noticing in my own life, like, those, those are still promises of God, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, and I've seen in my own life, uh, you know, piety, it, if you call it like a zealous seeking after God, it has to be done in the right way. It doesn't, even though the Israelites at that point were still doing all these uh, Rituals, you know, like the, what, he got, what God told him to do, like sacrifices and things. He said, you know what, I, I abhor your sacrifices. I, I don't want them. I wish <clears throat> that you wouldn't even do them. So God, he cares about not only the way, the what we're doing, but the way we're doing it. But there is a way to draw near to God. When, as you see in like even the nation Israel, when they draw near to him as a nation, sometimes it happens because of a leader like David. But God blesses them. Like God, he, he does do things in the Okay. Life. Can I ask you a question? So yeah. I want to get back to this. Uh, so if one person is more pious in the sense of having religious zeal than another, then God goes to that person but not the other ones? No, but there, there's this, like, drawing near to God. Like, And here I'll, I'll explain in my own life. I have not seen God work as much as I have in the last three years it's like you can you can actually know God, and, and it comes across to me in in the story of uh, it says there was a point in Israel where they sinned so badly that God said, you know, not even if it was I think uh, Noah, Daniel, and someone else, if they prayed before me, Job, I wouldn't even hear their prayers. They wouldn't even be able to save them or their own family, only themselves. And and it just like so you listen to these men. You you listen to these men more than the rest. And it, and it was like. It's not because of some pious, you know, they didn't earn it. Like, every time I get self-righteous and think, wow, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, aren't I, God? Like, God humbles me and shows me, you know, you know guess what? You, you, all these, like the last time I did it was at a Bible study, and, and I was actually, this thought actually occurred in my head. It's, I, I thought, 
how can I consider these people better than myself? Because that's what the Bible says, because I thought, I'm doing so good. How can I, how can I, what do I deceive myself? And that's the thought that came to me, and, and God humbled me so much that night. Okay. Because, and let me finish the well, story, though. Well, I, I need to get back focused on It'll our text quick, here. Sorry. It'll be quick, sorry. Um, so I, I thought, you know, how could, you know, how could I think of them as greater than myself? But that night, God, everything I said was just pathetic. Like, the group just, and, and it was... So humble, you know, and, and I even, I just remember going to the restroom afterwards and getting on my knees and being, you know, I was just like, I, at first I thought, you know, like, what, what does it even matter? I, I don't deserve honor okay. anyways. I, I need to get just us like focused. 30 seconds. 30 I, got, seconds. I got to get us focused. Let me tell you something that'll help. Spend time thinking about the fact that Jesus shed his blood so that those who trust in him can draw near to God through the blood. I had two verses on that last Sunday on my last slide. But let's get back to the analogy of these people and Jesus. Let me tell you why Luke is telling us this. One of the things that could be thought is that Christianity is Jesus, okay? And when he leaves the scene of history, then it's going to be the end. Okay, where's your, your leader? He was crucified. Well, we know he ascended to heaven. But Luke Acts emphasizes the continuity, that Jesus' work continued because of God's purpose through his followers. And so there's an analogy between Jesus praying, going into the wilderness to be tempted, receiving the power of the Spirit, and being then uh, anointed for ministry and then going and proclaiming the word so that's what i want to do i want to at least get that we've got to get that because then the same happens with peter early in acts and the same happens here with paul you have the analogy okay so the holy spirit comes on jesus he's the anointed one and god is pleased with him and then he goes into the wilderness then if you look at Luke 4.14, let me read that. Luke 4.14 says this. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding districts. So he ends up then going to Nazareth, his hometown, and then preaches in the synagogue from the Word of God. So we have um, prayer the Holy Spirit, and commissioning for service. So Saul and Barnabas earlier were sent, and, and here we are uh, commissioning right here in this verse, verse 2. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. There's an echo of Jesus Christ himself here. One thing we need to know about Acts is his proving that Jesus' work goes on through the church. Yes, Norm. Um, yeah, I have a question in that verse 2, right after uh, we're talking about ministering and to the Lord and fasting, and it says, the Holy Spirit said, and when we were going through Luke 3, 20, 22, said the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice 
came out of heaven. So they actually, that was an actual voice. Yeah, that was that objective, heard. right. Is verse 2 in Acts 13? You know, I thought about is, that too, Norm. Is that an actual voice? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe somebody knows something I don't. I, I don't know. I would just, here's, what I, here's what I think, and I, based on the text. Here, Paul is called a prophet. Okay. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. Paul is nor- normally known as an apostle. But here he's called a prophet. So I believe it was through someone who actually spoke it. One of these prophets. They're prophets and teachers. That's what I, how I read it. Anybody, Adam, or somebody, anybody else? Go back to Norm here for a follow-up. Well, the reason I ask that is you hear a lot of people talking about they're getting a word from God and they're hearing personal things, and I'm just wondering, you know, where you could base that on. Okay, Uh, a lot of people say that, and so because of that, what I did was I made that, we made that video called How to Discern the True Work of the Spirit. Uh, How do we know whether it's real or not? Whether Christ is preached? Let me give you an example. I wrote this book about purpose-driven. Rick Ward is calling his movement Another Reformation and a Mighty Work of the Spirit. So two preachers, myself and another brother, pleaded with him, since he had a big audience, to preach Christ, the blood atonement, repentance, confess Christ, and preach him, and call people to repent and turn to Christ, and the forgiveness of sins. Well, he didn't do it, wouldn't do it, and didn't say he would do it. He just sat there and said nothing. So, because Rick Warren won't do it, and then I contacted when he was in 2008, he spoke at Obama's inauguration. Remember that? He was involved with that. And they were criticizing him because somebody said, well, I think he might be a conservative. We shouldn't have him. So I contacted his head of staff and I said, um, they're accusing, they call him Pastor Rick, of being a conservative. Maybe he should just preach Christ and really be one. <laughs> well, you can't say you have a work of the Spirit and then you won't confess Christ. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, in John, Jesus said, he will testify about me. So here, when the Spirit spoke, whether it's through Paul or one of the others or whether they all just got the idea that's what God was saying through the Spirit, what happened was they were set apart for the work which they called them, which was to preach Christ. And what they did was they went and preached Christ. So if somebody told me, well, I believe the Holy Spirit has sent me to some certain place, and I'm going to preach Christ everywhere I go, I'd have absolutely no reason to question that. In God's providence, if Christ is preached, then we must rejoice. But when people say 
that they have a work of the Spirit, and you listen to it, and they preach themselves and how great they are, and they don't preach Christ, then I have to question, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies about Christ. Now, lately, one of the last times I was condemned by one of the apostles and told I was an apostate, the claim they made was that I was diminishing the Holy Spirit. In other words, by saying that the Holy Spirit will testify about Christ, I'm truncating the Spirit, because the Spirit wants to do, according to the apostles, <coughs> greater miracles than Jesus ever did. And because you refuse to go do that, case in point here, how exactly do you decide you're going to do a greater miracle than Jesus? Walk across Lake Minnetonka? I don't know how you decide that, but they decide that's what they're going to do, even though it never happens. But that was a category error. They accused me of being an apostate because I quenched the spirit. Well, you don't know what quenching the spirit is if you don't know what the Bible reveals the Holy Spirit's role is in the church. And it isn't about what God the Spirit can do, because he's God. He's in charge of providence. He can do any miracle he wants. He can drain Lake Minnetonka or anything he wants to do. He's God. The issue isn't what God can do. It's how we know whether something is a work of God that we should endorse. How do you know? And I say the way we know is Christ is preached. Go ahead, Adam. Now, in general, uh, just looking at like the Old Testament, for instance, God, when he would speak to a prophet, uh, they would hear from him audibly. You'd, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, uh, you know, came to Jeremiah. Uh, he, he spoke to them. And it was never just a, a feeling or an impression. Today, people will say, I feel like the Lord is telling me. Uh, no, no, no. Go read Jeremiah. Go read Ezekiel. Anyone who does that is condemned. Uh, the false prophets, he declares, uh, they had an impression. They had a feeling that they attributed to me. But I, the Lord, did not speak it. Uh, they spoke falsely. Uh, and anyone who does that is condemned. And so it's something to, very yeah. serious, something to repent of. And so you're saying here then in the text where it describes these prophets and teachers uh, in the church, Barnabas and Simeon, who is called uh, Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and uh, Manaean, who ha had been brought up with Herod. Yeah, uh, the somebody who had Saul. status in that world. And it's these same people who are grouped together while they were ministering to the Lord in fasting. Then the, the Holy Spirit spoke. And so whether to, to one or to all of them, uh, like you're saying, he, he spoke and they audibly uh, heard from him. Uh, yeah, whether it was through some person or through some uh, uh, theophany, like what happened with Jesus. It sounds like it'd be one of these who is gathered. Cause here, I think it was through have, a person. You, that's have what, prophets, you have prophets. That's why they're called gathered. prophets. Yeah. And they were appointed by Christ. Saul was appointed by Christ. So, And Saul will later, you know, as he's seeking to uh, go into the region of uh, Asia, Asia uh, the province... Uh, in western Turkey, 
uh, uh, the Spirit of Christ tells him not to go there. Uh, uh, but and then he ends up uh, going and meeting uh, Luke when they go to uh, Troas. I they guess. go somewhere else. And again, we can't take what's not said and come up with a theology. Our theology has to be based on what is said, not what we think might have been. So I was pointing out the category shift by saying how we know what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing, that is the preaching of Christ. I am not thereby making an ontological statement about what the Spirit is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not claiming that. The issue isn't what God can do. It's how we know whether something's from God or not. Because you can't, I have more fear of God about putting words in God's mouth. When we do that, when we say, I feel like the Lord is prompting me or telling me this, we make ourselves false prophets. Uh, and you, uh, you, you get it I wrong, more, you get it wrong once, according to Deuteronomy 13, 18. Uh, you're done. You're a $3 bill. You're, you're false. You're done. You don't get another uh, shot at that. You keep trying so, until something gets right. I have written about that. We have to be, okay. be content that God yeah, has spoken. Here, here, let me quick unpack that a little bit. We cannot do anything based on an uncertain word. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, somebody said there was going to be a big financial upheaval in October 2015. So in June, I wrote an article. And then the person put in some caveats. Well, occasionally it doesn't actually happen. <laughs> All right. So... God isn't raising up somebody to say, thus saith the Lord, this may or may not happen. Because if God said nothing, this may or may not happen. We already know that. You've added nothing. Okay. Now, uncertain words, God isn't uncertain. God isn't confused. God isn't saying things to harm the body of Christ. He loves us. He cares for us. And I can say with total certainty that the way we know that God is leading and anointing in the sense that all Christians are anointed by the Spirit is Christ is preached. We proclaim the blood atonement the forgiveness of sins. Now, there's an inclusio. I need to keep going here. Uh, Eric, could you do this? Turn to uh, Acts 14, 26. While he's doing that, let me tell you what an inclusio is. It's a literary device that would be like brackets that we use in English. Sometimes they're long. Sometimes they're shorter. But there's a bracket. And it, the brackets set a theme for everything in between the brackets. Is that right? So scholars call it inclusio. So here we have the Holy Spirit speaking the work which I've called them, and that's the beginning bracket. The ending one actually happens in Luke 4. No, no excuse me. 
Did I give you the wrong one? Acts 14.26. Okay, Acts 14.26. Go ahead. Acts 14.26 says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Okay, so they, they were set apart for the work in Acts 13, 1 and 2. In Acts 14, 26, they'd accomplished the work. Do you see that? So what we can find then is everything from here to Luke, excuse me, Acts 14, 26, is what that work looked like. This is, this is it. This is what it's like. And what happened in there? Well, we're going to find out because I'm going to teach you about it. Uh, but you probably already read ahead. Christ is preached. There's, there's, a, there's magicians in opposition, but there's converts. The word of God is proclaimed and repentance or forgiveness of sins, which was commissioned in... Uh, excuse me, in Luke 24. Let me give you an example. Turn with me to Acts 13, 38. This is right in the middle of that inclusio. This was at Pisidian Antioch, which is a different place than the Antioch they left from. Acts 13, 38. Paul preaching, therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, you know, he's talking about his Jewish brethren, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Paul proclaimed the forgiveness of sins. Jesus commissioned them to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. One of the most stunning moments of my life is when my Lutheran friend asked Rick Warren, what do you have for the forgiveness of sins? Couldn't think of anything. Where's the forgiveness of sins? Do you have that? Is that part of your peace plan? Is that in a shape program? Is that at the three-legged stool? Where's the forgiveness of sins? I don't know. That's not Christian. If you don't have forgiveness of sins, you don't have biblical Christianity. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood is the laid down life. Without the shedding of blood, there's no release of phasis. That's where our word for forgiveness comes from in the Greek. Release. Release from sin. The forgiveness of sins. If we don't have that, we don't have a work of the Holy Spirit. And they don't even want to talk about sin because the marketing survey says the local neighborhood religious consumers isn't even thinking about sin because they don't believe anything is sin. They're more concerned about the rights of sinners to sin. As one old preacher said, are you hearing me? They're more concerned that Sinners sinning might feel bad about it because somebody doesn't like it. But if we don't see the law of God as condemning sin, we don't see the need for the blood atonement to release us from sin. So both are valid. Okay. And 
I, I, I wish I could be better at helping people see this, but I just can only use the tools I have. I'll continue with this and we get back into Ephesians. But last week we saw two passages from Hebrews that we draw near through the blood. It's what God did for us, not what we do for God. The world religions all tell us what we're going to do for God. Sometimes it's perverse things. Did you see what happened? Somebody hates the Jews and kills a bunch of them. Anti-Semitism, I was just preaching about that, the pogroms. Why always are the Jews hated? Because they're the ones who receive the promises of God in the Old Testament through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're the ones through whom Messiah came. And there's still future promises for restored national Israel. And Christians get persecuted because we get in on it when we come to Messiah, who's the Jewish Messiah. And he's also Messiah for all the peoples because that's prophesied in the Old Testament. And God is going to make the two one new man. I can't wait. I've been looking at that. Oh, there's so much. I love Ephesians. Isn't it great? Amazing. Now, dear, dear ones, not everyone has a big audience. Not everyone is going to ever be in a pulpit or be videotaped doing a sermon or not everyone has the same gifts as far as being able to read and study and come up with ideas or illustration, whatever. That's not limiting the spirit in any way because he's going to work through each of us. God will use each one of you, dear brothers and sisters, where you are in whatever arena he puts you to confess Christ. One brother just told me how God did that. Uh, Brother Brian was telling me this morning how someone at work asked him, and he told them about heaven and hell and Christ. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Do you want to be used by the Holy Spirit? I hope the answer is yes. How? Preach Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Turn from false religion, from works, from occultism, from the wicked world, and trust Christ and serve God through him on his terms. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for giving us your word so we could know and understand what otherwise we would never even want to hear about. And may you use us to proclaim the truth of the gospel and to be set forth for the um, ministry that you called us to, a prayer of service and of proclaiming our Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for helping us and thank you for the dear saints and pray that you would use Eric as he preaches to us from First Timothy. And we thank you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of the Sunday in church here.